Island Church in Galveston, Texas, welcomes you to our podcast. Be encouraged by Pastor Rusty Martin as he teaches the Word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Let me get over there. Communion is one of the two ordinances of the New Testament church. Very precious in what it means, what it celebrates, who it gives honor to, and what it gives honor for. Yeah, thank you, sir. Communion is the celebration of the broken body of the Lord Jesus Christ and the shedding of his blood. The word communion, in its most simple definition, means to pour into. And you've got to realize and recognize what Jesus, through redemption, has poured into us as believers. He's poured His life into us. I mean, we are partakers of the very life and nature of God. It's in you. Not only is eternal life life relevant, if you were to die or pass pass away upon this earth, and you go to heaven, there's a great relevance to the eternal life afforded you through salvation. But eternal life is working for you, in you, and through you right now on the earth. Eternal life is touching your finances, your physical body. It should be affecting your marriage, the way you raise your children. Every aspect and area of your life should be affected by the eternal life of God. And communion is a celebration of the pouring out of His life for us so that He could regain a new life and pour that new life into us. Thank God that He did. You know, salvation is just not the adherence to the golden rule. I think that's where a lot of people get off when it comes to Christianity. They kind of figure that obeying the golden rule, you know, do unto others as that have them do unto you, is salvation or being saved when it's not at all. That's not a, There's people out there that obey the golden rule that will die and go to hell obeying the golden rule. But thank God Jesus said in John chapter 3, you must be born again. Being born again is passing from death unto life, from darkness into light, and having God pour into you the very life and essence of who He is into your spirit, man. Wow. Everybody say, wow. Isn't that good? Man, if you just realize, and I think the problem is so many people, oh, if I could just feel that, I could be assured of its reality. Well, we live in a dispensation not of feelings. We live in a dispensation of faith. Can I get a better amen than that? You say, what do you mean by that? Well, if you had it by feelings, you wouldn't need faith. But the problem with feelings many times, they can, they can literally be deceptive. It's the days you don't feel it that it's the strongest. It's the days you don't feel saved that the knowledge rises up in your heart that you are saved. It's the days that you don't feel healed that the knowledge of by His stripes you are healed rises up in your spirit and you know healing belongs to you. It's the days in which your finances are, you know, kind of circling the drain on you, but you know God supplies all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. It's those times in which you realize knowledge is more important than feelings. Amen? Hallelujah. So the knowledge of our communion with Him our communing with Him, understanding what He has poured into us, the significance of His broken body, the significance of the cross, the significance of the shed blood 
and the significance of the offered blood. I'm telling you, these amazing truths establish the reality of eternal life in our hearts. Amen? Praise God. Everybody get served. If you did not get served, wave your hand at us. Everybody good? Amen. I need my... Thank you, Brother Daniel. Got it. Now we pick the scripture up here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Verse 23 says, For I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do ye in remembrance of me. Now, that word remembrance, we're teaching on redemption in our Sunday morning services, and we'll bring this word up as we get more into who we are in Christ. But this word remembrance, it brings its meaning from the covenants of the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. That's a better way to say it. The covenants of the Old Testament had in them the word remember or remembrance. You say, what do you mean by that? It literally meant that you are to constantly rehearse and keep in your memory the terms of this covenant. Amen? And in communion, what you're doing is you're rehearsing the terms of this covenant. The body. Everybody take the bread. Say the body. The body of the Lord Jesus Christ which was broken. Break that bread. Now we've got to understand upon the cross he was wounded for our transgression, bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our uh, peace was upon him. By his stripes we are healed. He assimilated into himself everything that was wrong with the world, with, the, with humanity, from sickness and addiction to depression, you name it. He took it upon himself as his body was broken. And he did it for a purpose. The purpose was to get it on him so he could break it off you. As his body was broken, these curses were broken over the human family. And tonight we celebrate and rejoice at the broken body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Receive of the bread. It says, after the same manner also he took the cup. When he had saying, when he had sub saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. Everybody say, in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. That same word to rehearse the terms of the covenant, to be put into remembrance. Oh, the blood of Jesus, the songs that have been written about it, the, the, the books that have been written about it, how it's been preached on and how it's been, uh, uh, revelation has come. But the blood of Jesus is still the most precious commodity in the universe. If the entire earth were a diamond, if all the stars were made out of gold, they still would not be more valuable to us as the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Offered seven times the number of God. In the garden he sweat as it were great drops of blood. In his wounding as he was beat, as nails were driven into his hand, as a crown of thorns was placed upon him, and in the final act in which they took a spear and thrust it into his side and blood and water fell out. He was establishing forever the terms of the covenant of blood that we have with God himself through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he took that blood... The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12, and entered into the holy place once, having obtained 
eternal redemption for us. That same scripture says, not by the blood of bulls and goats, but by his own blood, he entered once into the most holy place in the universe. And he poured that blood upon not the judgment seat of God, but upon the mercy seat of God. You say, why the mercy seat, Pastor? Because only the guilty need mercy. So with the cup in your hand, in great honor and recognition of what this grape juice in this plastic cup represents, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and all that it means in our life, partake of the cup. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, we glorify your name tonight. As each and every one of us have received communion in your presence this evening, let us consecrate ourselves afresh and anew, not to live on the level of faith that we lived last year, not to live on the level of consecration that we lived on last year or the year before that or the year before that, but in this service tonight to come up higher, to a higher level of faith, to a higher level of expectancy and hope, to a higher level of consecration in our hearts to that which you've called us to be, called us to do, and that who you've called us to be. We love you, Lord Jesus. We want you more than anything, more than a building, more than a ministry, more than a missions program, more than anything we're involved with in the works of ministry. We want you, Lord Jesus, to be glorified above it all. And with everything we do, there is an amen or a so be it that resonates in our heart. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. To God be the glory for the great things He has done. And Father, we know that You're a great God. You're a loving Heavenly Father. And we're just now entering in, just entering in to that which for many years we've stood and believed God for. We thank you our greatest hours, days, weeks, months, and years are ahead of us. In Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen. Amen. Praise God. God bless you. Turn the lights up and let's study the Word for just a few moments this evening. Remember, this is New Year's Eve. Most of you are going to stay up late anyway. Go to Ephesians chapter 4 real quick. I'm going to speak to you tonight about participate in what God is doing and why you should and how this whole how can we say this this whole drama of serving God the way the Bible says to serve him revolves around our service in the kingdom everybody say service in the kingdom you say what do you mean by that God does not want you passive he wants you active I know that the percentage rates in most churches of people actually actively participating in that which God do, does, it seems to be many times very low. You think, wow, if more people would just get involved. I know uh, in just looking at the numbers of the amount of people uh, that come to services, we've had uh, years where we've had uh, more people coming. We've had years where we've had less people coming. Uh, on an average uh, island church over the years that we've been in existence, I guess this coming February will be 17 years, 16 years, 17 years. Over those, over those years we started, I think our first service we had 65. 
I think our largest service we ever had, we had two services on a Easter Sunday about three years ago in which we had around 700 come to those two services. Uh, there's people that come every service faithfully. They come to prayer. There's people that come once a week. There's people that come once every other week. There's people that come once a month. There's people that come once a quarter. There's people that come once a year. I mean, I can't judge you. All I can do is exhort you to obey the Word of God and come every time the doors are open. Amen? It is obvious in the last uh, 15 to 20 years, a great spirit of apathy and complacency has tried to invade the church. Uh, it was uh, prophesied. It was seen in the Spirit. Uh, Dr. Oral Roberts saw it actually back in the 90s. He saw a, a, a great spirit come up out of the Atlantic Ocean. Oceans always represent masses of people. And then he said he saw it settle upon the United States. And it was, he said it was like a narcotic. And it just put the church to sleep. And we've seen that in the past 18 years. We've seen great congregations rise up. Uh, with large numbers of people that were seemed to be very ineffective because they didn't want to hurt anybody, didn't want to offend anybody. Uh, they, did, they, took, uh, they took things like the blood out of their teaching. They took things like the baptism of the Holy Ghost, uh, uh, the doctrines of healing, the gifts of the Spirit, because they were too controversial. They didn't want anybody to feel uncomfortable in the house of God. Well, let me just say this. If you ever go to a real church, there is something about the Holy Ghost that comforts the uncomfortable and makes the comfortable uncomfortable. Amen? You say, what do you mean by that? The Spirit of God just has a way of doing that. When you begin to fall into an apathetic, complacent nature, then there's something about God who has a way of stirring that nest and causing that complacent spirit to be broken. And you know, Galveston Island, now listen, when we came here, people were trying to label this island as a preacher's graveyard and nobody will ever build a church here and, and nobody will ever have a strong ministry out here. Certainly nobody ever go to the world from this, from this island. But you know, we just didn't listen to any of that. We figured if God called us here, we're going to have revival. We're going to have a move of God. We're going to see a church built. We're going to see a ministry established that's not only going to affect this island, it's going to affect the world, and it's not only going to break the spirit of apathy that seems to have come upon the church, it's going to break it that's on this island. This island's a really laid-back place. People tend to get so laid-back, they just lay back, you know. <laughs> but thank God we hadn't done that. We've been aggressive. We've kept moving. Even, even in disaster, when the church was destroyed, we just kept moving forward. I mean, the church was destroyed in September. We had our, our fall harvest in October. I mean, remember that. That was, that was wild. I mean, we went over to the, to the St. Louis, and we had to put our speakers up in hotels on the mainland, and we were still doing outreaches here at the church. And I'm telling you, we had a wild time. That was a great experience for anybody that got to experience that. But we must understand that we as a church... Me as a pastor, you as a, as a sheep in a sheepfold. There is a ministry that each and every individual must first understand and second through effort enter into. Now I think many times we tend to think, well, Pastor Rusty, if I ever have the opportunity, I'll minister to somebody. You know, if I'm somewhere and somebody sees me and thinks I'm a Christian and asks for prayer, I'll pray for them. Well, that's, that's not entering into that which God says to do. Literally, this speaks about you initiating something. Now, I'm not talking about initiating, you know, saying, well, I'm going to go out and get a 503, uh, 501c3 corporation. I'm going to get a board. I'm going to get directors. I'm going to do this and do that just so I can, you know, go down and preach at the jail or, or go out on the street and witness. You don't have to do that. 
You don't have to do that. All you have to do is obey what the Word of God says and begin and just initiate. You say, well, what if I go up to somebody and tell them about Jesus? They don't want to hear it. Go to someone else. Really, the principle is really pretty simple. You say, what if, I, what if I lay hands on somebody and they don't get healed? What if they do? See, you've got to adjust your thinking to what God says to do. Now, Ephesians chapter 4, let's read it real quick. And then I've got several scriptures I want us to look at. I believe it will help you tonight. Everybody say, enter in. in. Now, notice what it says here. Ephesians chapter 4. Let's begin in verse 11. And he, speaking of Jesus, gave, gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and, and teachers. Everybody say, pastors and teachers. Now, notice verse 12. This is the reason. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, it needs to be read like this. For the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry. Now see, the traditional pastor of the traditional church is the person that should go do everything. You're the one that goes to the hospital and visits everybody. You're the one that goes out and witnesses you. You're the one that you know, prepares the sermon every week. You're the one that, uh, that does this, does. But in reality, the Word of God says the fivefold ministry is given to help perfect you, that word's mature, to help mature you and bring you into the work of the ministry. Amen. You say, well, I heard so-and-so needs to go vi- uh, be visited in the hospital. Then why didn't you go? Why didn't you go if you knew they were there? I mean, uh, you should have went and visited them. That's part of the work of the ministry. You say, well, I think the pastor needs to be do that. Well, in reality, if you go back into the book of Acts and you go to chapter 6, when the ministry or the deacon ministry was initiated, the Bible says of the ministry they should give themselves to the Word of God and to prayer. You say, why? Because there is a responsibility upon the fivefold ministry to hear from God for the direction of the church and to get and maintain and increase the anointing and to bring not sermons but messages from God to you. I mean, you ought to at least go to a church where you trust the pastor hears from God and teaches and preaches things that he gets from heaven. Amen? Amen? And so, you know, I'm amazed many times. I've had people ask me, where do you get all that stuff you preach? Well, it's easy. I live in the Word. I'm either reading, meditating, studying, or listening to teaching almost all my waking hours. Amen? And if I'm not doing that, I'm praying. That helps me hear from God. You say, well, why are you preaching this tonight? The Lord told me to. Lord told me what to preach. Then He told me at the end of the service what to minister by the Spirit. We'll see how it comes together. Amen? So, everybody say, for maturity, for my maturity, and for my ministry. Everybody say, my ministry. Now, listen, and for the edifying or the building up of the body of Christ, till we all come into the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect or a mature man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of God. Now, notice this, verse 14, that henceforth we be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and the cunning craftiness whereby they lay in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up, everybody say grow up, into Him in all things which is the head, even Christ. Now listen, God wants you to have revelation knowledge. That's not just knowledge imparted by the preacher to you. That's knowledge imparted by God into your heart and into your spirit. 
I mean, you can go quote the preacher, quote the preacher, quote the preacher, but the minute you say, God said that to me, you've been visited by God, and He's given you revelation knowledge. And He wants you to have that. But part of getting revelation knowledge is obeying the mandate that is upon you as a believer to do, quote, the work of the ministry. It's part of you growing up. What good does it do to train an elite military force and give them all the weaponry they need to be that elite military force and never use them? Amen? I mean, we've been at war. Our nation's been at war now, I guess, since uh, uh, 2001. And I tell you, some of these guys in some of these elite units, they've been deployed so many times you can't hardly count it, but I guarantee you I would not want to come up against them. You say, why? Because they're mature in the ways of war and warfare. They've been trained, but now they can train others. Amen? And every one of you must realize it's as you do the work of the ministry outside the four walls of the church. That's how the church grows. Listen, you can go to 10,000 church growth seminars, hear all these different things, but until the body of Christ gets active in the ministry and goes out and begins to do that which God says to do, churches don't grow. You say, well, I believe it's all based on the anointing of the pastor. No, it's not. It's based on the willingness of the pastor to teach and preach these things and put the mandate upon the church. You say, well, there may be people that don't want to do it. Well, they'll find someplace else to go. Amen? I guarantee you they will. But if you desire to grow up in the things of God by the anointing of God, by the power of God, you're going to recognize and realize, i got to get busy. There's some things I need. i got a neighbor that's going to die and go to hell if I don't do something about it. i got co-workers that are going to die and go to hell if I don't do something about it. i got a loved one that's laying up in the hospital and been there for three weeks, and I ain't even gone up there and prayed for him yet. I've got people all around me that need God, that need a touch from God, and here I sit. They're not going to watch TBN. Amen? They're not going to uh, listen to your favorite preacher. You say, well, I'm going to give them a book by this minister. I'm going to give them a set of... They're not going to listen to that. They need you stepping out in the ministry that God has given you as a member of the body of Christ doing that which God has called you to do. Now, this is an amazing reality because everybody thinks, oh, the five, I want to be an apostle. I want to be a prophet. I want to be... No, you don't. It bears a greater responsibility that you don't want to walk in. And what the body of Christ does not realize is that the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher is God's gift to you to bring you to this place of maturity. God values you and thinks so much of you that he gave five different ministries to help perfect you and mature you and to help bring you into your ministry. That's how much he thinks about your ministry. Amen? You say, well, what about preachers? They're the fools. That's what the Bible says. They're the baser things. They're the, they're the foolish things that God uses to confound the wise. He said, not many wise. Not many that are educated in their intellect. God takes the foolish things of this world to confound. He's talking about the five-fold ministry there. How he takes people that in the natural could never do this, could never get up and speak, could never flow in the anointing. So he takes and raises them up as a gift to you to help perfect you and bring you into the reality of the ministry that God has always planned for you to have and walk in. Amen? So let's look at that ministry a little bit. Go to Mark chapter 16. 
and I'd like to say we do our best to bring in all of the five-fold ministry. Go to Mark 16. We'll start there. Apostles. Everybody say apostle. Apostle. The word apostle means sent forth. Many of our great apostles today are missionaries. Many of them start churches, many churches. An apostle can touch every other finger. It's like the thumb. It can touch every other finger. There are times when an apostle flows like a prophet. There are times when he flows like an evangelist. There are times when he can flow like a pastor. There are times like he can flow like a, like a teacher. Amen. We love uh, the apostles that have come around here. Brother, Brother Paul Chase, uh, Egan Falk. Those men are powerful apostles that have literally shaken a nation for God. Literally done it. Amen. And then, and then there's the prophet, the, the, the one that points, and he doesn't point the way for you. He points to the Word. He brings revelation from the Word of God. Uh, I think uh, men like Joe Morse, Brother Greg Fritz actually flows in part of that. Listen, that, 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 that finger flowing out there. And then there's the evangelist. That's the farthest reaching. Men like Christopher Along has that long reaching. You know, he's an assembly of God evangelists, and they did they researched his ministry last year because I think it was his 35th anniversary, and they determined through the records that they have that Christopher has led to the Lord in the last 35 years of his ministry over 30 million people. And God lets him come to Island Church. For why? Why does he let him come? Just so you can hear those stories? No, so he can inspire and inform you so you can be matured and brought into the ministry that God has for you. You say, well, I think I'll go do that. No, you won't. He's called to do that. We don't need another Christopher alum. We've got him. What we need is you doing what God's called you to do. Amen. Then there's, a, there's, a, there's the pastor. That's the, that's the ring finger. We have some powerful pastors that come. You know, they say that you, there's a vein that runs from, the, from the, that finger all the way to your heart. The pastor carries the heart of the church. The Bible says plainly the pastor should take the oversight, that the pastor should be uh, not given to a bunch of other, uh, you know, like business and all these other. He needs to be focused on feeding the flock of God. That's his mandate. That's his calling. A constant feed. Thank God for Holy Ghost services that we have. Thank God for moves of the Spirit that we have. But I'm the pastor of this church. I love Holy Ghost meetings more than you do. And sometimes I have to restrain myself, pull myself back, and just feed you the Word. Feed you the Word. Feed you the Word. Now we're feeding you on redemption on Sundays and on the will of God on Wednesday nights. And if you'll eat, you know the Bible says in Psalms uh, 23 that He prepares a table before you in the presence of your enemies. You've got to sit down and eat. If the table is prepared, you've got to sit down and eat. Amen. And then there's the teacher. Everybody say the teacher. That's the little finger. Fits in your ear. Amen? And that's really the uh, predominant ministry that I flow in is a teacher's ministry. You say, how do you know you're a teacher? Well, because you don't teach a lot by study. Even though you do study, you teach more by revelation, which means there are times I just look at it, I get one scripture, and I can preach on that thing for six weeks. I see it from every angle. I like what one teacher said. He said, Revelation, the Word of God, is like climbing up a mountain. You climb up the north side, you get the north view. You climb up the south side, you get the south view. You climb up the east side, you get the east view. You climb up the west side, you get the west view. There are many views to Scripture. Scriptures are like a multifaceted diamond. You shine light upon it, and that light will go all over the place. Amen? So that's been given as a gift by Jesus to you. Why? So you can do the work of the ministry. Now, here's, here's, let, let's begin right here. 
verse 15 of Mark 16. He said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now notice this. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. That's very plain. There's been some ministries lately that talk about the gray areas. I don't know. You know, I don't know. I'm not people's judge. But here's the reality of it. You must be born again. There's no way to receive eternal life unless you're born again. He that believeth and is baptized. That's not a wet scripture. He said, what do you mean by that? He that believeth and is baptized into the body of Christ. He that believeth and is born again. She'll be saved. That's the word sotos. Healing, preservation, soundness, safety, deliverance. Glory to God. Somebody should have got excited about that. But then the other side of it is very plain. It's not gray. It's very black and white. He that believes shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be what? What does that word damn Eternally separated from God. That's why we preach the gospel. That's why we have Island Church. That's why we've given hundreds of thousands and even millions of dollars to try to reach the world with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ because God is not willing that any should perish. And if God's not willing, we shouldn't be willing. That's why you should be involved in your ministry. Amen? Now, notice this. And these signs shall follow the fivefold ministry. Now notice this. And these signs shall follow just anointed evangelists that are on TV. And these signs shall follow only very mature Christians that are in their 80s. The Bible says these signs shall follow them that believe. Now who's that talking about? That's talking about everybody that believes. Now notice what it says. In my name they shall cast out devils. You ought to be a devil caster outer. I mean you ought to be a, you ought to cast the devil out of your house, out of your kids, out of your cat, out of your dog, out of your neighborhood. Lee and I moved into a home over, uh, well we won't tell you what street it was, but we moved in there and I'm telling you it sounded like we were in Beirut. I mean, the gunfire, remember that? I mean, uh, uh, it wasn't so bad, the, 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 you know, the, the pistols, but it's when the automatic weapons started going. We were like, oh, my God. He said, what did you do? We started praying. It took us, what, three years? And it was just as quiet as it could be. You say, why? We took authority over the devil. You're going to say, you foul devil of criminal activity. You foul devil of drug addiction and drug, uh, uh, drug sales. I mean, we just begin to speak it. We begin to take our authority. We begin to cast out devils. Then we moved to another house, and down the street was two crack houses. You say, what did you do? We closed them down. You say, how did you, did you call the police? No, we cast the devil out. We begin to speak against that spirit. We begin to allow the anointing to move. And next thing you know, one of them, one of them, they came and just moved them out and they restored the house beautifully. The other, they just boarded it up. You say, you, you really think you can do that? No, I know you can do that. And you don't need me to come do that in your neighborhood. You need to do that. You say, why? Because there's a spirit that accompanies that type of activity and Jesus said believers can cast it out. Everybody say, cast out devils. Amen. Amen. 
In my name they shall cast out devils. And we can say it like this. In my name they shall speak with new tongues. That means you need to get full of the Holy Ghost. And so I don't really know about that speaking in tongues. Well, you just need to get full of the Holy Ghost. You need to allow the Spirit of God to come on, come on you. You need to let it get a hold of your tongue, disconnect your tongue from your prenup brain, and hook it up to your spirit where God dwells. Amen? Amen? You say, well, I, I'm not sure I want that. You need it more than you know. You need it more than you realize. It is one of the number one things the devil fights. He does not want people being filled with the Holy Ghost and speaking in other tongues. Let's lift our hands and speak in tongues for a moment. Oh, brasakala bahasabra. Thought we'd just do that to make the devil mad. They shall take up serpents. No, that doesn't mean handle rattlesnakes. I went to, I went to school with a powerful man of God named Daniel Matai. I don't know if any of y'all know Daniel. I know Dad does. Daniel was a Baptist pastor from Romania that escaped the communist regime there back in the late 70s. God gave him a vision of Lakewood Church. He showed up at Lakewood, couldn't even speak English. He escaped, didn't even tell his wife and daughter because God told, spoke to him and said, if you tell your wife and daughter, they'll torture them to find out where you went. But if you don't tell them, then when they give their answer, they'll see that they're not lying. He says, if you'll trust me, I'll unite. And a year later, they united his young daughter and his wife, and they all were at Lakewood Church, and this was back in the early 80s, and God supernaturally gave him the English language. He cried out to God and said, I can't, hear my, I can't understand my pastor's preaching. Please, Lord, help me. And he prayed in tongues, and God supernaturally gave him the English language. Now, he, was, he itinerated around, he built, he's built now a great church in Timisoara, Romania, but he itinerated, itinerated around right after Bible school like I did for several years, and he went up to Tennessee, invited to a church in Tennessee, and he, and he stood up for to preach, and a woman come walking up the aisle with this big rattlesnake, said, you're no prophet of God. And he, he said there was a little box in front of the pulpit. He said, thought it might have been communion or something, but he kept hearing something moving around in there. And he said it scared him, and he backed up, and he said, in the name of Jesus! He said that snake died right there in that woman's hands. And those two snakes in that box also died. <laughs> Amen. That doesn't mean we're supposed to handle rattlesnakes. That means the devil. He gets in your way, take him up, and if somebody comes walking at you with a rattlesnake, just say, in the name of Jesus, and that thing will die. Amen. Now notice what it says next. It says they shall take up serpents if they drink any deadly thing. We're not going to pass out the strychnine. If you study the scripture, it talks about the logos or the spoken word. That means when you go to the doctor and get a bad report, don't drink that. Amen. Or, or you go to the banker and get a bad report. You go somewhere and get when negative information comes to you, it's not going to hurt you. It's not going to harm you. It's not going to get into your belief system like the Word of God does. Amen. I like this. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Now who's this talking about? Believers. So every believer should have a ministry of casting out devils, intercession, praying in the Spirit. Come on church, somebody ought to say amen. Praying in the Spirit. Casting out devils, walking around, kicking the devil out of the way, not letting any bad reports affect you, and the ministry of laying on of hands to get people healed. Say, well, will the gifts of the Spirit operate? It doesn't matter. 
I like the Greek. It says, hands they shall lay, well they shall be. That's what the original Greek says. So that's what you need to be doing for your neighbors, for your friends. I've done it for people, you name it. In boats, out fishing, in duck blinds, out hunting, at duck camps, deer camps, all over South Texas, on airplanes. I was flying home from Ireland one time. I was reading uh, Smith Wigglesworth's book, uh, uh, Ever Increasing Faith. And a lady was sitting next to me, and, and I, it was when they, they, they were flying those L-1011s. They have five seats in the middle. And uh, so I was sitting uh, on the aisle, and she said, what is that book about? She kept looking at the cover. I said, it's about miracles. She said, do you know about miracles? I said, yeah. And so I started talking to her. I was coming from Ireland, been at a bunch of services. We'd seen a lot of miracles. And so I started talking. Next thing I know, I got people hanging over the seat on this side. I got people hanging over the seat on this side. I got all these people bunched up here. We're having revival right there on that L-1011 Delta flight coming back from Dublin. I mean, the same thing can happen for you. You know, when, 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 when uh, after Brother Osteen built that, that big building up there, there was a little lady, a little 20-year-old uh, Hispanic lady that got saved and filled with the Holy Ghost and been saved and filled with the Holy Ghost for about a month. And she was driving home, actually coming home from a night service at church and just drove up into one of those uh, 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 filling stations. You know, they've got like a lot of pumps and a convenience store. And there's an ambulance out there. And she just kind of walked by the ambulance and they're in there working on that guy, you know. And, they, and finally, that they were just exhausted, couldn't do it anymore. They tried everything that they had on the, on the ambulance and everything that they knew to do. And she asked the ambulance driver if she could pray for the guy. And she just walked up there, just walked, said, can I pray? And they were kind of like, yeah, sure, ain't nothing else worked. Why don't you try that? And she said, you know, with fear and trembling, kind of, she leaned into that ambulance and she said, I heard myself say this. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth on me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And when she said live, that guy sat up. That's just a, just a little lady going to a church that had been taught she was a minister. That she was a minister. Everybody say, I'm a minister. So you have a ministry of power. Because you're a believer, you have a ministry of power. Don't go looking at the five-fold ministry. Don't go coveting some other man's gift. Don't go thinking, well, if I had old Robert's gift. No, don't go doing any of that. Flow in the gifts that you have that God has already supplied for you as a believer. Amen? Now, let's see. Go to, uh, where can we go from there? Go to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Anybody liking this? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not, impre- not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now listen to that one in the Amplified. I love that in the Amplified. Verse 19. It was God personally present in Christ, reconciling and restoring the world to favor with himself. Now listen, this is, this is, this is your word 
to take to the world. Not counting up and holding against men their trespasses, but canceling them. And committing unto us the message of reconciliation, of restoration to favor. Now you've got to understand, church, you are a minister of reconciliation. Now you think about people right now that are bound in sin. Now we, you know, we don't think about people that are just prideful and greedy and rich bankers. And we think about, you know, the prostitutes and the crack addicts. They're in such bondage. And the reason they're in such bondage is because in their mind, they're totally convinced by the devil that there's no way they can be forgiven and no way they can get free of this. What if somebody walked up to them and said to them, God is not going to forgive your sins and set you free. He has already done it. He's already forgiven your sins. He's already set you free. That's the good news of the gospel. Because if we tell people, well, you need to come to God and you need to humble yourself and you need to come to our church and you put, the, you put your name on the row and after you go through our new believers class, we'll see. Well, that's not going to get anybody saved. We did a lot of street work in the 90s. Some of, y'all, some of you guys did it with us. We did it at Mardi Gras until Mardi Gras got so perverse we couldn't do it anymore. But we had families bringing their children down there. And man, one night I stayed over. I tell you, it was me and Rocky Malloy. Rocky, he's a soul winner, man. I tell you, I love to be... I, we did a lot of street ministry, a lot of street work. And I'll never forget this as long as I live. The, the parade was going by, so we were walking against the grain. And our method was to hand out tracks. And as we handed out tracks, if they didn't wad it up or throw it away or just stick it in their pocket, if they looked at it, then we'd stop and try and talk to them. And there were two gentlemen walking together, and Rocky handed one a track, and I handed another. And the guy just said, what's this? And so we were on the sidewalk, so we stepped up into the yard. I said, this is called a gospel track. He said, a what? I said, a gospel track. I said, have you ever heard about Jesus? He said, yeah, I, I, I went to church with my, with my grandmother when I was young. I said, have you ever been born again? Do you even know what that means? He says, I haven't got a clue. What does that mean? So I began to tell him what the Word said, what Scriptures had said about how every person needs to understand without Jesus, you're a sinner. He totally agreed. I am a sinner. He totally agreed with me. I am a sinner. I said, but the good news is because you realize you're a sinner, secondly, you can realize that you need a Savior. He said, I do. I need a Savior. I said, I got good news. I'm going to introduce him to you right now. I said, his name is Jesus. He came and he took your sin. Not only did he take your sin, he took your motive to sin. And because of that, he has already reconciled you to himself through his son Jesus. So all you have to do is to receive the one that reconciled you and you get reconciled to God. He said, let's do it. I mean, he was excited. He was a black gentleman, about six foot four or five. He was a student at the University of Houston. And I, and I prayed with him. And I'll never forget how I prayed with him and I let go of his hands. And he looked at me and he says, that, that, that's real. I said, it is real. And I've never heard of him or seen him since. But I said, you go find your church that teaches the Bible. He said, I'll do it. I give you my word, and I trust that that guy did it, and he's there serving God somewhere. I didn't do that as a, as a pastor. I didn't do that as a teacher. I didn't do that as an evangelist. I did that as a believer. Amen. I said, I did that as a believer. I've led people to the Lord all over. I've led them to the Lord in my house, at my table, on airplanes, on buses, all over the place. 
not as a pastor, not as a teacher, but as a believer. We are commissioned by God, every one of us, to be ministers of reconciliation. Amen? Go to Galatians chapter 6. Now this is one you might not consider. Chapter 6 verse 1. But this is still relevant to every one of us. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one with a spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. We must be ministers of restoration. Now this is different from reconciliation. Reconciliation is going to the world with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The ministry of restoration is going to your brothers and sisters and restoring them back to God. Every one of us know people that have left church, left this church, left other churches. They don't serve God. They've gotten bitter. They've gotten discouraged. And some of them are projects you're just going to have to work on. I mean, you're going to have to do it. You're going to have to love them. Boy, amen's like to knock me on the floor that time. <laughs> but that's where your love walk manifests the greatest. Now listen, we're not going to talk about, but, but there's people in this church that, that Lee and I have restored. We've helped restore their marriages. We've helped restore them back to church. But there's others, I'm telling you, that I have worked, that I've spent enormous amounts of money, and I've done everything I've could do to try to restore them and they just won't be restored. And there'll come a point when God says, just don't even do it anymore. They pass a, a particular line. But in the meantime, you've got you've to get out there and do it. You've got to keep bugging them. You've got to become a supernatural pest. You've got to do it. You say, what do you mean? You've got to tell them, you need to come back to church. I know you're offended. I know you're mad. I know he talks about money all the time. Well, that's not true. We know that's not true. But that's what people they get that in their mind. All it takes, see, the enemy is working overtime on people. And if we don't restore them, I heard something said years ago. I thought it was horrible that the body of Christ is the only army in the world that shoots its wounded. That shouldn't be said of us. There are people that need a phone call. There are two men. Brother Osteen and Brother F.E. Ward that were famous. I, I was a pallbearer at Brother F.E. Ward's funeral. And Brother Osteen preached it. And his testimony was this, and he picked up this ministry from F.E. Ward. But if F.E. Ward knew you, and you got knocked down, knocked out, he's going to come to you. You're going to get phone calls. You're going to get visits. You're going to get prophesied over. You're going to get hands laid on you, and you're going to get restored. Amen? I mean, that's literally the way he was. That's literally the way he was. He was literally a minister of restoration in the body of Christ. And the problem is not enough of us do that because there's too much, how can I say this? There's too much risk. There's too much emotional risk. But you've got to understand, if you truly have a heart to restore people, God will spare you the emotional drama of that and use you supernaturally to help restore people back into church. Because people can get too far out there. 
You say, what do you mean? They can get too far out there. I know people right now that used to be on, in church, used to be on fire for God, used to be, they were Bible school students, they graduated from Bible school, my Bible school students, and they're, they're on drugs right now. They're on drugs. Their, their, their minds are messed up. The enemy has got them in bondage right now. They could care less about church and the things of God, but God still loves them. But the only way He can love them is through you and I. And if we are in contact with them, and if we encounter them, and we do not do something to restore them, then we're making a mistake. And the Bible says to restore them how? In a spirit of meekness, which means you've got to go to them not with authority, but you've got to go to them in love. And say, look, man, I know you're hurting. I know you've gone to five churches and been disappointed in every church. But that doesn't mean churches are wrong. People make mistakes. Pastors are human. You've got to understand these things. You've got to have some grace in your own life and give people some latitude to make mistakes. You've got to have some forgiveness in your heart. You've got to just believe God for the right words at the right time in order to help restore people back into the body of Christ. If we had a revival of restoration that lasted a month on this island, we'd have to go rent the ball stadium to put the people in it. Because there's people all over this island that have had an experience with God, that have been in churches in this area, that have just gotten burned and burned out. They just don't want it no more. But God still loves them. And the church is still God's plan for them. And the problem is they're never going to be blessed the way they should unless they get back into the church and get restored. We do not need to shoot the wounded. We need to heal the wounded. Amen? Amen? So we have, all have supernatural ministries. Everybody say supernatural. And then we have the ministry of reconciliation. Everybody say reconciliation. Then the ministry of restoration. Everybody say restoration. Now let's look at one more, all right? Are you liking this for New Year's Eve? It's going to help you start the new year the right way. Let me find it here. Hebrews chapter 10 Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Now, this is a ministry that needs to come online real quick here at Island Church. Verse 23, Let us hold fast the profession or the confession of our hope without wavering, for He is faithful that promised. That's verse 23 of Hebrews chapter 10. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as ye see the day approaching. Now everybody say this. Ministry of exhortation. Every one of us have a ministry of exhortation. You say, what does that mean? That means when we come, to, come together as the body of Christ, we need to be exhorting one another. Our fellowship should be about exhorting one another. I got a bunch of letters in my desk of people who have exhorted me over the years here at Island Church. And for everyone that's done it, your cards, your letters, talking about how much you love the ministry, the teaching. and all. I'm telling you, when I'm a little down, I get those out and read them. Other letters that don't exhort me, they go in the round file. Amen? 
You say, don't you read them? No, I can tell within a couple of lines. I just, I just dump them in the round file. I don't want to read that. I don't want to read something that doesn't exhort me. I want people lifting me up. I love it when people say, I love what you preach. I love what you say. I love the way the Holy Ghost. I love that. Listen, you need to exhort your pastor, but you also need to exhort one another. Amen. Many times we don't have the attendance that we need because when people come down, they leave down. And they're dependent, or the church is dependent, upon the pastor preaching a message of exhortation. But what if it isn't the will of God for a message of exhortation to go out that day? What if it's a message of, repre- of rebuke? What if, it's, what if it's a message of, a, of, a, of doctrine? What if it's instruction in righteousness that God says to minister or to preach that day? But your neighbor next to you, the guy on the back row, or the guy sitting over here, the guy said, he needs to be exhorted. And you just walk right by him. And the Holy Ghost says, why don't you just stop and exhort him a minute and you just keep on walking? Come on, church. I mean, we have to begin to exhort one another. Let me read it in the Amplified. I like it in the Amplified. It says in verse 25, well, let's, let me go to verse 24. That's, that's good. Let us consider and give attended, continuous care to watching over one another. Let me try that again. Let us consider and give attended, continuous care to watching over one another. Studying how we may stir up, stimulate, incite to love, and helpful deeds and noble activities. Well, it kind of speaks for itself, doesn't it? Not forsaking or neglecting to assemble together as believers, as is the habit of some, of some people, but admonishing, warning, urging and encouraging one another and all the more faithfully as you see the day approaching. What a tragedy that someone would come to church and we're just one exhortation away from being restored. And we all just walk by them with a hello. But if you're sensitive to this and you know this by the Word of God, then you can be available to God for that gentle urging on the ends. You know, I need to go talk to so-and-so. And, you know, they're, they're walking up. So you just go out and you catch them in the parking lot. So, you know, I just want to tell you, God loves you. And, you know, God just quickened me today to come to you and to encourage you. I don't know what you're fighting. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're standing for in faith. But I'll tell you, I'm with you. I agree with your faith in Jesus' name. You know, if you need me to pray for you, if you need me to stand with you or agree with you, that's exhort. You don't got to go out there and prophesy. Or do, you just need to go out and exhort. We don't need any parking, parking lot prophets. We need exhorters. We need people that are going to be cheerleaders for each other. I mean, how many of you going through something in your life, you like somebody to help you a little bit? A little bit of exhortation. A little bit, you're going to make it. Your business is going to make it. Your marriage isn't going to fail. You're going to get that healing that you... I ran into Larry the other day. I said, man, I'm believing with you. I'm standing that one of these days you're going to do your blood and it's going to be clear. You're not going to have any diabetes in you at all. See, if I know those things, I'd do my best. But I can't go to everybody after every service. 
You've got to pick up that ministry. You've got to begin to exhort one another. You've got to begin to encourage one another. You've got to begin to speak into each other's life. That's what fellowship is. Fellowship in sitting around over barbecue. That's not what fellowship is. He said, I want a fellowship. Oh, you want a fellowship? Then let me tell you how to do it. What you need to do is you need to look around and be sensitive to the Spirit and go to people that God gently urges you or nudges you to go to, and you need to encourage them. That is fellowship, which comes from the word communion, which means to pour into, which means you're pouring encouragement into people. You say, nobody ever encourages me. That's because every seed reproduces after its own kind. So you start encouraging, you'll start sowing seeds. And when you need encouragement, guess what? A whole church will be running you down. Saying, let me encourage you. Let me speak into your life. Let me help you. Let me do what I can do. This is called the body of Christ. This is how God desires us to function around one another. So as we continue in teaching on redemption, redemption is preparing you to enter into these ministries. Because when we finish on redemption, I'm going to come right back to this and we're going to spend a little time, we're going to go into this and we're going to look at some practical application of it. Because first you have to know who you are, what you have, and what you can do in Christ. When you have that revelation of who you are, what you have, and what you can do in Christ, then these revelations of the ministry that God has for you will ignite that fire on the inside of you. And I'm telling you, you'll get up every morning looking to cast the devil out, looking to lay hands on people, looking to get somebody saved, and looking for a brother or sister to encourage. And if there's anybody that needs restoration, you'll at least be praying for them. Some of you right now, my prayer list is loaded with people that need to be restored. People that have left this church and don't even go to church, they need to be restored. They need to be restored. So I pray for them constantly. Constantly I pray for them. And most of them avoid me. But many of them you run into all week long. They avoid me because I'm authority but they can't avoid you because you're love. So you need to take that ministry of restoration, ministry of reconciliation, ministry of encouragement, and then the supernatural ministry. That, isn't it amazing that God loves you so much that that's what He wants you to have as a ministry? And He gives five ministry gifts to help prepare you, mature you, and launch you into your ministry. Isn't that cool? Lift your hands and worship God. Father, we worship you. Oh, how we glorify your name. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness, for your word, for that which you deposit on the inside of us, for your graciousness, for your mighty, mighty love nature that takes each and every one of us from places in our lives in which many times we can get so discouraged and lifts us up. Thank you for your encouraging word. Thank you for the spirit of encouragement. Thank you for it, Lord God. Lord, we worship you tonight. Let's just take a moment and worship the Lord. Just open your mouth, lift your hands. Father, we worship you. We worship you, Lord God. We glorify your name. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord Jesus.
Hallelujah. Now, the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me. And it's unusual when God does this. I've had Him do it on so many occasions. He'll speak a word to me. And then He'll paint a picture in my spirit and show me something. And He'll say, now, with this word, I just want you to step out in faith. And I want you to minister. And He'll give me all of the protocol of how to do it. I've seen Him do it with healing. I've seen Him do it with other areas. And, and, and literally, years ago, when the Lord first began to use me, in that particular direction. There was one area of that that I would always shun and I'd always go, I ain't doing that. I ain't going near that. I ain't messing with that. And much of it had to do with, with inner healing. Healing on the inside. Because back in those days, there was a bunch of nutty people out there doing inner healing meetings that were one of God. They were just goofy. So I didn't want to be associated with those people. But there's a scripture in the Bible that speaks of Jesus and it says He is the healer of the broken heart. And there's just something so amazing about the ability of Jesus to heal your broken heart. And so I'm not going to make a spectacle of anybody. I'm not going to call anybody up and pray. But I'm going to minister this to you by the Spirit. Then we're just going to stand and pray. Then we're going to pray over the new year and we'll be dismissed. Is that okay? The word the Lord gave me was the word desperate desperate and he spoke to me and he said there are people that will be in the service tonight that are desperate they can't go another year their marriage can't go another year their finances cannot go another year their physical health cannot go another year business cannot go another year the way it's going whatever it is I don't know I don't know those things came in my spirit it may be something else maybe a, a child you're believing God for a grandchild uh, you know, that's just lost and on drugs. And you would think, man, if something doesn't happen this year, I'm going to lose them. I don't know what it could be. But there is an element of, of desperation in you. Now, when the Lord spoke that word desperate to me, He showed me something in the Spirit that I thought was so cool. And, you know, you can always tell it's the Holy Ghost because He takes you straight to the Word. So He took me to the Gospels and He started showing me the desperation of people. The woman in Mark chapter 5 who had an issue of blood 12 years, she was desperate. She was so desperate she was willing to risk her freedom to walk on that street that day and touch the edge of Jesus' garment. The Syrophoenician woman was so desperate that even when it sounded like she was being rejected, she worshipped God and stayed till she got her answer. And God gave her her answer. The ten lepers were desperate, cried out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. So many of the people in the Gospels that Jesus touched were desperate people. The man at the miracle pool, John chapter 5, he was desperate. Jairus, his daughter was dying. Most Bible historians agree when he left the house, she was in the last throes of death. Death had already fastened itself upon her. And he came to Jesus desperate, desperate, desperate for an answer. Desperation can do one of two things. It can open the tomb for you in which you die to a dream of ever having an answer. Or 
it can motivate you to get your miracle. I've always said, don't let desperation work against you. Let it work for you. So I'm not going to say, well, you know, if it's your marriage, if it's your health. I'm not going to do that. The Spirit of God told me not to. He just said, pray. Just pray. If you're in a desperate situation, in your marriage, your finances, your health, maybe your job, maybe there's something going on at your job, and it's just, you, you say to yourself, I can't, I, can't, I can't work another year at this job. I can't do it. And there's an element of, of, of desperation in you. Well, sometimes it's in the midst of that that you get your greatest miracle. How willing are you to let your desperation motivate you? If it's a financial problem, are you willing to begin to tithe and offer? I was listening to Pastor Osteen today, to Brother John Osteen. And he, he, he gave two New Testament scriptures for tithing, and he said this. I thought it was so good. He said, you know, all the big corporations of our nation have a financial plan. Their financial plan of, of spending money, their financial plan of making money, their financial plan of saving money, their financial plan of investing money. He says, you think God is stupid? He's got a financial plan for His church. He's got a financial plan for Are you desperate enough in your finances to actually begin to tithe and offer? Are you desperate enough in your physical body to maybe adjust your diet? Maybe go see a doctor. Find out what's wrong. Let's get in faith and believe God with you. Amen? I mean, are you desperate enough in your marriage to get some help? Lee and I will speak. We'll talk to you. We've helped many marriages. We've talked with and counseled and counseled them through some very rough things. We've got a lot of experience. Not only that, we've got 33 years experience of having a pretty good marriage. We've seen what works because before we met each other, we found out what didn't work. Don't let your desperation open a tomb for you. Let it motivate you. I mean, whatever it could be. You say, well, my, it's my children, it's my grand. Are you desperate enough to begin to intercede, pray, maybe get a few prayer partners in the church to begin to pray with you, to begin to bind, begin to loose, begin to do that, quote, warfare necessary to break the bonds of the devil over that child and see them restored back into the kingdom of God? God loves when desperate people get an answer. He marveled at the faith of the Syrophoenician woman. He said, I hadn't found so great faith in all of, all of Israel. He marveled at the faith of a desperate centurion who could have had anything he wanted, but he reverenced the Jewish law and the Jewish religion enough to do it the right way. Came to Jesus, got his servant healed. Jesus said, I hadn't found so great faith. Don't let your desperation work against you. Let it work for you. And this time next year, why don't you have ready a testimony? A testimony is what you get after you come through that test, trial, trouble, or tribulation. The victory already established for you in Christ, but it has to be walked out by faith. So I want everybody to stand. I want everybody to lift their hands. And if that's you, I just want you to listen to me pray. And I want you to come into agreement with what I pray. I, I know, listen, church, 
We've had some very spectacular meetings this year with outpourings of the Spirit of God and laughter and rolling on the floors and running and dancing and shouting and weeping and all the emotions. But listen, this is just as supernatural, if not more. Amen? If not more. So if that's you tonight, I want everybody to just lift your hands up. I'm going to pray. Listen real close to what I pray. And then I want you, just under your breath, you don't have to say it out loud. I just want you to agree with what I pray. Because the Bible says, whether two or three agree as touching anything here on earth, it shall be done of the Father that's in heaven. And I'm going to believe your desperation is going to be broken. And God's answer is going to come to you. And out of your test, you're going to get a testimony of the goodness and the blessing of God. Heavenly Father, now Lord, I've obeyed what your Spirit bade me do. I did it in the detail in which you gave me. Even in ministering it the way you showed me to do it. Father, I thank you that through communing and fellowshipping with you, you're supernaturally speaking to men and women tonight about their marriage, their finances, their physical bodies, their jobs, their businesses, even other areas, Father, that I didn't even touch on, where there's that air of desperation in which they need your answer. They need your breakthrough. They need the provision of your word to come into manifestation. So tonight, Heavenly Father, I stand in faith with them as their pastor, and as the authority that, I, that that office brings, I say in the name of Jesus, devil, get your hands off of God's people. Off of their mind, off of their flesh, off of their marriage, off of their finance, off of their physical bodies, off of their children, off of their grandchildren, off of their businesses, off of their jobs, off of their dreams, off of their hopes. In the name of Jesus, take authority over you. And Heavenly Father, I thank you. The next few services, the next few weeks and months, I thank you the Word of God from heaven will arrive in their spirit man. A conception will take place and a sprout will begin to grow. And out of that will come the fullness of the fruit of that which they need to break that crisis, to cause that desperation to be alleviated, and to cause the grace of God to bring full provision into the life of each and every one that needs this tonight. Father, I thank you for that. And I agree with them as they agree with me as we agree with you that tonight as we pray we believe we receive the answer and we shall have it in Jesus name so Father we take a moment to rejoice we take a moment to thank you we take a moment to glorify your name come on church we take a moment to rejoice we take a moment to exhort we take a moment to glorify you we worship you, Lord God. We worship you, Heavenly Father. We worship you, Lord God. We worship you, Father. 
We glorify your name. We glorify your name. We glorify your name. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Now, two things that we'll close. Number one, from the tongue and interpretation of tongue, that spirit of resistance is broken over us. It's done in Jesus' name. It's done. Now, hold on, hold on. Don't clap. Don't clap real quick. Because of that, there are some obedient acts in some people's lives that there has been some hesitation in you. And that hesitation has been corporate. But now we're stepping out on our faith. We're going to begin that building program, that building project. Now that releases you from that hesitation. There are some things that need to be acted upon here in the next few months that you know are of God. You need to act on that now. You need to do it. I'm not going to categorize any of it, name any of it. But many of you know it's time for me to obey God. You obey God now. You obey God now and it'll break that resistance and the glory of God will come into your life. And you'll not only just maintain, you'll increase this coming year like you never have before. Increase will be upon you. Blessing shall overtake you. The glory of God will be upon you. Fathers, we end this year as a church and as a body. We're amazed at your mercy. We thank you for your grace. Lord, this coming year, we thank you for the desire of your heart being in manifestation, for the effectiveness of the church to increase. And we know with that, everything else under that will increase also. Financially, numerically, the anointing, the youth, the children, all that we put our hand to prospers. Devil, we declare again in 2019, Jesus is Lord over this island. You are defeated and the blood of Jesus is against you. And we declare revival, moves of God, outpourings of the Spirit, intercessory prayer, going to the nations, givings of hundreds of thousands, even millions of dollars, and the blessings of God overtaking us in an unprecedented way. As we rejoice and celebrate our 17th year, 2019. We thank you at this time we'll look back and say look what the Lord has done. How the increase will be substantial. The blessing of God will be enormous. The glory of God will be outstanding. And the victories of God will be numerous in the lives of individuals, families, and the church. We love you Lord Jesus. Thank you for 2018. And by faith, we receive the challenge of 2019 and all that it brings, declaring you the victor in our lives and over all things in Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen. Amen. I declare God's blessing upon you, your household, your family, your finances, your health, and Happy New Year. The Lord be with you. God bless you. Amen. Thank you for listening to Island Church's podcast. To find out more information about Island Church in Galveston, Texas, visit our website at islandchurchgalveston.com.